It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. And with me in the KFG studios, it's no coincidence, fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. What are the rules for inheriting an HSA? Does it work like an IRA or Roth, or is it different? That answer might surprise you, and it might actually influence how you use and fund your HSA. That and more coming up on this hour of Wise Money. I can't believe we haven't done a show about this. In fact, we do, at Corhorn Financial Group, we've got a whole team of advisors. That's really important for you to know. It's not just Mike, Kevin, and Josh. It's, what is it, 17 now and growing? And and how do we grow advisors? We do a whole lot of casework. We do a whole lot of of collaboration and it's sort of like a geek factory is pretty much <laughs> what it is. And and one of our rising star CFPs shared, hey, do you know, blah, 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 this is how an HSA is inherited. And it's like, I haven't dealt with someone who has had one that they've inherited yet, a non-spouse. Non-spouse, It's yeah. crazy. And so we're talking about it. And then we're going to help you with how to use the HSA and whether this should influence your plan. If you have a question for the for the show, we're going to hit some at the end of the program. Uh, reach out to us. You can find us a few different ways online, wisemoneyshow.com. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. And then all over social media, you can find us there as well. Search the Wise Money Show and submit questions there. In fact, we've got an HSA question that was posted on, uh, on the YouTube channel. So we're going to hit that later in the program. The HSA, we have talked about the HSA quite a bit. Now, listen, we've got uh, rising Medicare medical costs out of control. It's unsustainable. We have rising health insurance costs, unsustainable as well, it seems. And therefore, the solution for many businesses and many individuals has been to consider a high deductible health plan, HSA eligible high, dedu- high deductible health plan. Um, so there are reasons why this is more important, but it's always been an extremely versatile financial instrument. So even though it's now more to, more in vogue and more uh, popular than HSA since the time it, it started has been a very versatile financial instrument. We're going to talk about that more, but more and more people are funding these HSAs and then not using it. Something I'm doing personally. How does it work when you pass away? How does your HSA work when you pass away? Yeah, this the answer is it depends on who you are receiving this inherited HSA or the inheritance of an HSA from um, the the person who originally created it. If you are a spouse, you lost your your spouse and they had an HSA in their name, you're allowed to receive that as your own now and continue it on as if it's always been yours. You can keep contributing to it as long as you're eligible. Not everybody's eligible to contribute to an HSA. You have to have the right type of health insurance plan in place, has to be high deductible plan, and has to be HSA eligible. All those are technicalities. You're eligible to keep your HSA, but, but but you're not eligible to fund it unless you 
are, are you have a qualifying yeah. high deductible health plan. That's right. You have to be covered by the right health insurance plan, which means the fact that you can keep it means you can continue to use it for its intended purposes all along, and that's to cover medical expenses. So you can draw off of this. You can use it to cover things like dental and eye care and other doctor's expenses and things. We'll get into that more uh, later on in the show. But the, the point is, as a spouse, you get all the same rights that your deceased spouse had before you as you inherit this. It's when an HSA goes maybe further down the family tree or to someone other than a spouse, that's where it gets a little sticky. And um, unfortunately, if you are not a spouse of the person who opened the account and you inherit this, the whole thing is taxable to you in the year that you receive it. That's right. See, I'm gonna, I, I actually would take back the word unfortunately, and I would say fortunately. Why? Because, because that's more money than you had before. <laughs> okay. And yeah. Uncle Sam's saying the same thing, though. Yeah, well, here's the good news. That money has never been taxed, and it's been growing tax-deferred. Yep. Since whoever had it, say mom and dad, when they had it. Now, because I was thinking about why hasn't that this been an issue up until now? I think it's 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 HSAs, high deductible health plans. They're still growing in their popularity and you're funding it during your working years. It's, it's something you can't fund when you're on Medicare. OK, mm-hmm. until they change those rules. And there have been talk about changing those rules um, and therefore you you know people pass away typically when they're older on Medicare, so not a lot of people have passed away with HSAs. That's that's my sense. Well, and yep. I would I would uh, argue that the this is it's a newer deal for sure, and not everyone qualifies with a high deductible health plan. Not everyone has one, so they can't fund an HSA. But most folks uh, have been trained to say, "All right, I'm going to put this money in and use it every year." So as I look at my own family and uh, my own life, we've been we've had a high deductible health plan forever. We've been funding the HSA forever, but all it takes is one you know one little mini bike accident, and mm-hmm. you know Grace broke her wrist, and then you know every year there's 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 one event that yep okay we're meeting the six thousand dollar deductible. So when I started to talk to my wife about this idea of that month, the deductible, we're going to pay that out of pocket and we're going to leave the money we're putting into our HSA to, we're going to let that grow in the HSA. She said, well, wait a minute, am I taking a meaningful pay cut here? And so you have to- On the family budget and everything? Yeah. Yeah. You have to understand, I mean, it has to work in order for it to be an investment HSA. Right. With the idea- that over your, the course of your life, you would you if you're going to do it that way, you're going to grow it. But then you would you would also um, because you can use it for Medicare Part B, and um, like we'll you said, get into that too. Yeah, yeah you can yeah. use it for all these other things. Yeah. So, but over your time, over your lifetime, the perfect plan would be you would deplete that over your lifetime. Yeah. So, yeah. so the idea of inheriting it is a little bit unusual because there's not a lot of folks. I'm starting to see some HSAs uh, with balances north of 50000 now. Yep. And so, 
But there's there's lots of baby HSAs out there. And all of the examples that I can think of where a client inherited an HSA, it was from a deceased spouse. And I haven't seen any examples yet where it's now gone down to the children. And right. so yeah, the rule's been out there. It's been a concern. It just hasn't affected very many people in the real world just yet. But uh, as you say, Kevin, more and more people are, are getting turned on to this idea of accumulating larger and larger balances in the HSA because of the amazing tax shelter that it represents. And um, w- we may start seeing more stories where mom or dad pass away before using it all, and now it's coming down to the kids, and they will experience this rule. I, I think we absolutely will. Now, how does this contrast to an IRA, 401k, you know, a retirement account that's a tax shelter? So how do those work just so people can, can compare and contrast the difference here? Well, if you think of an, an IRA, there were some sweeping tax law changes, as there always are. But uh, going back just a couple years ago, we've talked a lot about the SECURE Act and how it changed the ability for you to leave behind an IRA to your loved ones Uh, someone other than your spouse, and let them stretch that money out over their entire lifetime. In other words, drawing off of it slowly over many, many years, maybe even decades. That has gotten squeezed down to where now, if you inherit an IRA from someone other than your spouse, you've got 10 years to get that out. And so it it means you need to be careful on how you schedule the timing of these things, uh, of the the withdrawals and everything, but you don't get that 10-year period with this HSA. And the other important thing, we're going to pick this right back up, is with the IRA, 401k, those sorts of things, you don't have to take a little bit out every single year. It's just got to be emptied within the 10 years. I think there's a clear conclusion. Get remarried. Get remarried. Get remarried. Marry everyone. If you want to give them some of your age, just say, uh, get married. So, no, I'm just kidding. We're actually going to apply this to your financial life. How's the HSA work? How should you be using it to plan in your financial life? And should this inheritance rule uh, influence that? We've got that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Are you using an HSA? I guess, first of all, do you have a qualifying high deductible health plan? If so, are you funding an HSA? What's your strategy with that? How does it fit within your overall comprehensive financial plan? Ooh, we are helping you with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode's on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. We're all wearing the same shirt. <laughs> Awkward. Actually, I don't worry about that. It's no big deal. So no, check us check us out. Every episode is right there on the YouTube channel, as well as Next Wise Step videos that air all throughout the week. So go to YouTube, search Wise Money Show, hit that subscribe button, turn on notifications so you're made aware every time we're dropping new content. We did drop today some surprising news to you, likely, about how the HSA is inherited. If you're married, it's inherited by your spouse like it's their own, okay? If you're not married or if it's passed down to a beneficiary that is not your spouse, they've got to withdraw the money and pay the tax on it immediately that that year. Uh, There's no penalty, but they've got to pay the tax on it. We uh, established at the break that's not a reason to get married in and of itself, right? The guys looked at me like I was crazy when I brought that up. Why use the HSA period? Like what, what's the benefit? How's the HSA work? Let's go back to the basics here. Well, the whole point of having a health savings account is to save up for health expenses. And uh, Kevin made a good point that 
in in the past when these first came out, most people were using them just as an in and out type of an account. You save it in the year that you're also going to use it. It's a way for you to get a tax write-off by contributing money to the HSA. And then when you turn around and pull the money out for qualified medical expenses, it comes out tax-free. So tax-free on the front end, tax-free while it sits in the account, tax-free when it comes back out if you're using it for medical expenses. That's a wonderful deal in and of itself. I, I think that's a rarity. Pre-tax in, tax-free out. Exactly. Yeah, that is it. And it's one of the few planning tools that doesn't care about your income. So you can yeah. be super high income, put the money in the plan, and, the, and there are two different ways to put the money in the plan. One is through payroll deduction. If you do that, it reduces all income, basically all taxes. All taxes you yep. don't pay federal, state, but you also don't pay your portion of FICA or Medicare. So if, if I put $7,000 in the plan via payroll deduction, I save 7.65% on that $7,000. So it is it, it, it helps me an extra $500 to do a payroll deduction. Now you can't do that if you're more than a, I think a 2%, 2% owner, owner yep. of a business. But that can be a meaningful, meaningful savings to get that money in the plan, even if you just put it in and pull it out every year. Yeah. You also can't do that if your employer doesn't allow it. Your employer needs to allow you to set up that deduction and they've got to you know, structure it a certain way when they prepare your W-2. So if they don't, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but you know, we're, we're talking about using these uh, these contributed dollars to pay for medical expenses. The cool thing about the HSA, though, is that it doesn't have to be in the year that you make the contributions, and you don't have to withdraw the dollars in the same year that you had the medical expenses either. And and so that's what really opened up the possibility to do this shoebox method that you've maybe heard us talk about in the past, where you, you intentionally keep track of all your medical expenses throughout your working career, keep the receipts in a shoebox, so to mm-hmm. speak. That's the where the mm-hmm. term comes from. But then someday out in the future, you can draw off of your HSA and reimburse yourself tax-free for those medical expenses that happened in the past. I'm going to restate that and then give you a best practice or, or a pro tip or whatever you want to call it, what, what I'm doing. Hopefully, it's a, it's a help to you. But let me go back to the, the great way to fund the HSA is payroll deduct. It saves you federal taxes, state, as long as you don't live in California, and FICA tax, Okay. If you're not able to do that because you're an owner in a business or your employer doesn't allow it or whatever, there's still a good way to contribute to an HSA. And it's using after-tax dollars that's already landed in your bank account and then contributing that to your HSA. And doing so, you wash that money, you clean that money because it it's a deduction on the front page of your tax return. You've got already taxed money that lands in your bank account, Okay. And then you use that money to contribute to your HSA. And then when you're doing your taxes, when you're working with your CFP and CPA, you tell them, hey, here's my slip. I made an HSA contribution. And they add that deduction on your tax return. And that's how that money gets washed, gets gets pre-tax. All right. So I wanted to clear that up. Second, for me, we, oh gosh, I have, I have health issues. We've been having kids. We've like hit our deductible all these years in a row. And finally, I just bit the bullet and said, nope, we are going to max fund our HSA and 
pay for our medical expenses out of pocket. This is just recently we've decided to do this a couple of years ago. And, you know, this idea of shoeboxing. So basically I'm treating this like a retirement account and letting it grow. We are investing it. We're letting it grow and I'm paying all the medical expenses out of pocket. We've had to budget for this because yes, Kevin, Lori's right. It does influence your cash flow a little bit. And hopefully you guys can, you know, if that's you, you can work on how do you balance that out. Um, but as I pay medical expenses, I save everything in an online storage box, or you might be using Dropbox, you might be using, you know, cloud storage of whatever. And Box has this feature where you can just, you know, go to the folder that you want to save something in, click the take photo or scan document or whatever. And so I just go to my folder. It's like three clicks on my phone, three clicks to get to this section in Box where I'm storing everything. And I click the photo or, or scan and I just scan the receipt and that's it. So this idea of keeping track of receipts sounds so terrible. It really does. <laughs> mm-hmm. But do you, do you ever take a picture with your phone? Of course, like that's stupid like that. Of course all you the do. Time. All the time, only 40 a day of my meal. And, uh, <laughs> and so just do that with your, with your receipt. I mean, and, uh, and then you're done. Okay. And then on top of that, you're going to get your annual summary from your health insurance company, your annual, um, I don't know, we get them quarterly. You get your explanation of benefits in the mail every time they're going to pay something, everything, every time something gets run through your insurance. Um, but then quarterly, you get a summary, at least through Anthem, and then annually you get a summary. I'm going to scan that thing in as well. And bam, I got it. Shoebox intact. Mm-hmm. So it's a good, good method. So it's a digital version of a, a shoebox, not literally a shoebox. That's right. And, That's and, and I, I was talking with a client yesterday, and she said, I'm, I'm growing a little bit weary. My shoebox is really full. And <laughs> I said, hang in there, hang in there. And she said, okay, well, um, what about my husband just got hearing aids for seven grand? Yep. Put that in a shoebox. That is seven grand that someday down the road you'll pull seven grand out of that HSA completely tax-free because of those hearing aids. And this is where it's a little bit, um, I, I don't know, non-conventional because it doesn't, it doesn't really fit what you might typically think of, like what, what qualifies and what doesn't for my medical insurance. And I just I think in terms of, look, whatever your medical insurance doesn't cover that you're paying for medically likely would be eligible to be paid for via HSA. Yeah, the notable exception to that is over-the-counter medications. That that was so lame that they took that one away. That that used to be something that you could use your HSA mm. for, right? Mm-hmm. But now, yeah, you'll get you'll get taxed and penalized on that if you use it incorrectly. So how can you use? So we've been talking about this um, this shoeboxing idea. I don't know who came up with that term, but that's 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 the term that people use for this strategy. So, uh, but if you've been building up a sizable balance in your HSA and then you get to retirement. Here's the $64,000 question is, what can you use that money for? You can reimburse yourself, sure, but what what else could you use that money for? And because of the rules on how an HSA is inherited, should you quickly take that out of the out of your uh, out of your HSA as soon as you retire? What's the planning strategy? We've got that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 
from an HSA standpoint, it would just it would be awful to pass away with a shoebox full of receipts and an HSA full of dollars that now a non-spouse is going to inherit. So knowing those rules, how should you plan with the HSA? What can you use it for in retirement? What's the strategy here? We're talking about it right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go check that out. Search Wise Money Show, subscribe to it there, and then rate the show. We appreciate that. All right, so your spouse can inherit your HSA no problem, just like they're just like it's their own. So if you've been building up an HSA and either shoeboxing, meaning you're paying your medical expenses out of pocket and letting your balance grow, or you've just been crazy healthy, which I mean, good on you, because I'm not. <laughs> so, uh, but and and you've accumulated a balance and then slip on the banana peel and pass away. If you're still married, your spouse inherits. They take over it. It's just like their own. It's fine. Okay. But now knowing that. If you're not married, or if both you and your wife slip on the same banana peel or, you know, con- connecting banana peels, and the kids go and inherit it, or, <laughs> you know, or the kids inherit it, or other, if you don't have kids, other family members inherit it, they've got to take all the money out of the HSA that year and pay tax. It's not penalized, but they've got to pay tax on it. How do you plan for the HSA? And what could you and should you be using this money for in retirement and when in retirement? Guys, open-ended question. Let's talk about it. Well, there there's some interesting planning because, again, the big idea is I fund – if I'm doing the investment HSA and, and doing accumulation, I want that money to grow. It's growing tax-deferred, and so I want it in a growth vehicle, and so we – Custody funds at Fidelity, so we help clients get their HSAs invested um, at Fidelity, and and we manage that process. But in a perfect world, I'm growing the amount of money within my HSA, and then I'm spending it down over my lifetime. To your point, Mike, if I don't, um, if I die with a bunch of money in my HSA, my kids are going to pay tax on that money. That's not a, to me, that's not a bad thing. They're getting money that they. They didn't uh, create and, and steward over a number of years, so that good, good on them. Mm-hmm. But they will pay taxes, and they're, they're going to have to look at the other things that they're inheriting to figure out the tax piece. But when I think about that, I would say as you have an investment HSA, pull the money out at the right time, and the right time would include a couple of things. I've got my shoebox, and so if I have 70000 in my HSA, 50000 of expenses in my shoebox, I can pull 50000 out totally tax-free. That leaves me with twenty grand, and I'm in retirement. What would I do? I might make my HSA more conservative and then start using it to pay for th- Medicare-related things because I can use it to pay for Medicare parts A, B, D. I can use it to pay for a Medicare Advantage plan. I cannot use it to pay for a Medicare supplement. That's I don't yeah. I, I don't have a comprehensive list of the dumb tax rules, but that if I did, <laughs> that would make like, your list. That would no. be near the top. <laughs> no, like, no, that no. doesn't make any sense. You, yes, you do. It's called the U.S. Tax Code. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the whole thing. 
Yes, that is the comprehensive list that of the is, dumb tax rules. That's right. This doesn't oh make any goodness. sense because your Medicare Part B and Part D premiums have to come automatically out of your Social Security check. You don't even have a choice. It, it would then not make sense that those are the ones you're allowed to use your HSA for. Right. Dumb with right. a capital D. Well, it, it but it actually does work the way, especially if you're doing the shoebox method, it's yeah. the same way. Hey, these expenses were incurred. I'm tracking these expenses and I'm reimbursing myself. Now, exactly. long-term care insurance premiums, you can use an HSA for that too, but you gotta be careful up to a certain amount. Right. And you don't want to double dip. If you're already in a situation where you can get a tax deduction on your long-term care premiums, don't use your HSA for those things because you're already getting some tax benefits. Especially since there's so many other things you could use it for. And yep. it's a lot of the same types of expenses that you could have used your HSA for during your working career as you were funding it along the way. It's things like the deductible on your health insurance in retirement, uh, you know, the out-of-pocket type cost. If you have co-pays when you go to the doctor, that can be written off. What about things like dental expenses or eye care? You know, your Medicare and Medicare supplement and all that, it's not going to cover most of that stuff, right? Yeah. So these, these are things that out-of-pocket you could pay for and reimburse yourself out of the HSA if you do get to retirement and you have a big pile of money in the HSA. So this, this brings me to a conversation that I was having with Mike uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about our amazing team of folks that help with Medicare, Medicare supplements, and also individual health. And the, the people that need the, the greatest advice relating to this are the 55 to 65 year olds, because you might be stepping off your employer's plan, stepping onto an individual plan until you get to Medicare, or you might be on an employer's plan and turning 65, do I stay on my employer's plan or do I go on to Medicare? And it's, it's very interesting because the way that healthcare has unfolded, that is a financial planning question. It is not a standalone, make this decision in a vacuum. Like you need a comprehensive financial plan to create a, a roadmap, a path, a plan for how you're gonna do all of this. How are you going to unwind your HSA? Are you going to stay on your employer's plan, go to an individual plan, stay, go on COBRA when you're done, hop on Medicare? Because because I was thinking in terms of, well, how long can I contribute to my HSA? I can do it as long as I'm not enrolled in Medicare. Right. If I sign up for Social Security, I'm automatically enrolled in Medicare. So, so there are all of these, these gimmies and gotchas that you, most people don't want to invest the amount of time, effort, energy, resources figuring this stuff out. And it'd be possible to give a lot of energy to it and still get it wrong. So I, if I was going to say, what's my action step? My action step is call a planner, make sure they're certified, have them walk through this. And then I, the, 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 the planner is in charge of strategy, but make sure the planner has someone in charge of implementation on their team. Because if you just get the strategy and they say, okay, go implement this, it's quite possible, and I've seen this a lot, people walk in with implementation that they were told to do by someone else, and it's just not right. Yep, you're, you're exactly right. And I, I love that you're pointing out 
so many of these major financial decisions that get made right on the eve of retirement or early into retirement and why these choices have to be made in the in the context of your overall comprehensive financial plan. I was meeting with a client just uh, yesterday, actually, um, and we were part of the story problem we were trying to solve was how can we postpone Social Security an extra couple years because of the boost it would provide to their financial life? And if you retire, but don't immediately start drawing Social Security, you're creating an income gap there that's got to be solved. And it's possible that maybe an HSA that you've built up over the years could be a solution there because if you've been doing this shoebox method as we've been describing it in this show, you may have tens of thousands of dollars worth of medical expenses mm-hmm. that you could reimburse yourself yep. tax-free mm-hmm. and maybe that source of income allows you to help bridge the gap between when your paycheck ends and when social, secu- social security begins. And um, it, so it's, it's just an example of why here we are talking about a healthcare type of decision but it's really a tax-related decision, but it's really a retirement-related decision. And a cash flow. A cash flow decision. You keep on going around the the, the circle there, and you you quickly realize choices like this are financial planning questions. And so they have to be answered in the context of a true comprehensive financial plan. All right, we've got more to come here on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. It's a great place to engage with us and submit questions. We've got a couple fantastic questions from the YouTube channel coming up in just a second. But thus far in the show, the headlining topic has been that how the HSA works specifically with inheriting it. And again, if you missed anything, your spouse can inherit it, no problem. Very easy, they take it over just like they would an IRA, 401k, that sort of thing. But with an IRA, 401k, Roth IRA, if a non-spouse inherits it, they've got 10 years to withdraw the money, okay? The the account needs to be emptied within 10 years. They don't need to take a little bit out each and every year. Those rules changed uh, depending on, you know, the year of passing. If someone passed on or after 1-1 of 2020, um, then they now have this 10-year rule for IRAs, 401ks, Roth IRAs, that sort of thing. So does the HSA have a 10-year rule? No, it does not. It's got a one-year rule. And non-spouse beneficiary inherits that that puppy has to withdraw the whole thing and pay tax on it immediately. There's no 10% penalty, but they've got to pay tax on it. They cannot continue the HSA. So how do you plan for it? Josh, let's let's take a few more action items. Take a few more minutes with action items. What? How do you plan off of this? Does that mean as soon as you retire, you know, reimburse yourself for all your shoebox? What do you do? I, you know, to me, as I sit and ponder this, this issue of, if, if you get to retirement with a pile of money in your HSA and you hang on to it too long um, to, to where you pass away with a bunch of money still in your HSA, that's not a problem if it's your spouse that inherits it. But if then they pass away with a bunch of money in the HSA, it's, eventually it's going to make its way down to a non-spouse beneficiary, which means taxes are going to you know, be, be levied against this inherited account when it wasn't necessary, 
right? Yeah. And and that to me, paying taxes that are not necessary is unfortunate. Uh. You, you might say it's dumb, right? Yep. But it would be easy to stumble into that situation if what if both spouses pass away at the same time in yeah. some crazy accident or yeah. whatever. So to, to me, I, I think of the HSA as a tool that would be wonderful for accumulating dollars for retirement. But once you get into retirement, how, how long are you going to wait before you start reimbursing yourself for those past expenses and start using it for your current expenses in retirement? I, I think it probably needs to be something that you're certainly tapping into before a Roth IRA. Because if, if there was a chance that you're going to leave some money, some extra dollars behind to the next generation, far better that it would be a Roth IRA than an HSA, right? Both of them, when you're pulling money out in retirement, they're going to come out tax-free as long as you're doing it properly. But they're not going to be treated the same way if you pass away with the account still in place. And so that's why the HSA should go first mm-hmm. before the, the Roth IRA, certainly. So I, I, I that's that's a fantastic point. I would also point out the comments Kevin made in the last segment. And that is, you know, once you retire, even whether you've shoeboxed or not, once you retire, if there's a balance in your HSA, time to start using it. Yep. Start, time to start thinking about using it. Whether you, um, you know, reimburse yourself for all your shoebox immediately or do it um, a couple years later. I would reimburse your your shoebox by 70, I think, somewhere around there. I mean, there's no exact science there. Or but, if you had some sort of diagnosis or exactly. some sort of risk that's causing you to maybe believe that you have a shortened life. But, but here's the thing, and this was the key point that Kevin mentioned. Once you then, once you then readjust your timing the timeline, your time horizons, that quote unquote nerdy way of saying it, with that money, you now should move it to low risk. If right. it's been invested all these years and then now all of a sudden you retire and you're gonna start using it or gonna shoebox it, or, or excuse me, you're gonna reimburse, reimburse yourself from the shoebox, it's time to switch that money from high risk to low risk. That's right. And if it's low risk, Okay, then then why why shoebox it anymore anyway? I, I would yeah. I would take that money out. There's the the potential for tax deferred or tax free growth is now minimized. Exactly. So reimburse yourself early in retirement for all your shoebox mm-hmm. and and you know redeploy that money. I think that is the strategy for whatever's left. I love the idea of using it before the Roth. I love the idea of just consistently on a quarterly basis reimbursing yourself for um, your Medicare Part B and Part D uh, premiums. And if you're on Advantage, you know, reimbursing yourself for that too. I love the idea of using it for every time you go to the dentist, every time you go uh, to the eye doctor or something like that. I would begin using it and therefore adjusting it to low risk. Yeah, you know, we uh, we shared at one of the breaks um, I pointed out a statistic that we read, I think it's from Fidelity, that does a a survey or they do some research periodically, I think it's every year even, where they they estimate how much will a married couple on average spend on healthcare expenses during their their retirement years. And it's up to $295,000. That's just out-of-pocket types of expenses. So the, the... risk of you getting to the end of retirement and passing away and still having HSA dollars there, it's a sign that you've continued to postpone reimbursing or paying for these expenses out of the HSA too long. 
Yeah. Right. So so just don't make that mistake, because if you have the power to put money into an HSA tax free, let it grow tax free and pull it out tax free. And you miss that last step of pulling it out tax free. And instead, your kids inherit it and they pay tax. Boy, that that will be a major bummer. Yeah, right. That'll be big disappointment. And um pull it out tax-free when you had some coupons, you had some unreimbursed medical expenses, that would be the ultimate the ultimate disappointment, the ultimate strategy. Would you ever do a charitable beneficiary on an HSA? Hadn't like, thought of it. it you know, if I, I, I'm thinking of some clients who husband has passed away, left a, a good size HSA behind, his wife now has it. If she were to pass away, the kids inherit it and pay a bunch of tax. I know she's very charitably inclined. And maybe if you're going to leave something behind to charity, this might be a good candidate because if it doesn't go to the charity, it's going to get taxed. If it does go to the charity, it avoids the tax. Now, I mean, we've just got to keep this in perspective. Your IRA, when it's inherited, someone's going to have to pay tax on it. Yep. So they just have a little bit more flexibility. They can stretch it out over 10 years. This, it, there's no flexibility. It's got to, it's got to, it's got to be uh, withdrawn and taxable. So, it's just the 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 negative, the unfortunate part about it is it didn't need to be taxable. It right. could have been withdrawn tax free. Right. So, all right, let's shift gears here. We got a couple of questions from fans of the show that we want to hit. And and one, Kevin on the YouTube channel just just uh, a few weeks ago uh, asked a question relating to the HSA and, and Josh, you and I were talking about this one and I just looked at it in a different light. Can you use an HSA to pay a medical debt that has gone to collections? I think maybe I just saw it in a a different light too. Like, why do you have money in an HSA when you have medical expenses going to collections? Right. Did you, because when we were first looking at this, okay, I'll just tell you what we are saying. All right. How, how's that? Would that help on the radio? Um, we were like, well, yeah, you can shoebox your HSA, your expenses. Yeah. So yeah, if you've got a medical expense that you just failed to pay out of pocket and you've got money in your HSA, use it. I mean, it's the same. As long as the medical expense was incurred before or after the HSA was put in place, though. That's right. So, That's so you right. might have something in collections from earlier on in your career. Now you work for an employer that has an HSA and you're using it. You can't um, go use newly saved HSA dollars to pay for an old expense that was incurred before the HSA was opened. Yep. So you got to be careful about the timing of when you know the expenses were incurred and everything. But everything that I've read would suggest that as long as you meet that requirement on the timing of when, when the expenses were incurred, you can use an HSA to pay off uh, an old debt medical uh, expense that's in collections. So if you've had, uh, if, you, if you moved and you got the medical bill sent to the old address and then the, all the notices were sent to the old address and then all of a sudden they caught up to you just in time to say, hey, this thing's going to collections. As long as, you know, th- th- I think in that scenario that could happen mm-hmm. or maybe a child who's on your your plan and you've had an HSA with them, they were trying to hide an expense or didn't really know and all of a sudden there was something that, that was coming to them and it was in collection, something like that. But as long as you, yeah, had the HSA before, 
right? Incurring the expense, then absolutely. Reminds me of the 529 plan. Uh, you know, just recently they changed the rules that you can use once in your lifetime, you can use 529 plan money to pay down on a student loan. What is it up to? Up to 10 grand. 10 grand yep. in your lifetime, okay? Um, but there's the, there's a trick there because oftentimes people are using 529 plans. The federal benefit is the the growth is tax sheltered and comes out tax free, but your contribution, there's no federal benefit. There can be a state tax benefit. And the states that I know of that offer a state tax benefit force you to repay that state benefit if you're using this money for a student loan. So anyway, it's it, like a student loan is, hey, I had a college expense incurred in the past. Can I now fund a 529 and use it for that? And uh, I mean, technically you can, there might not be much benefit, but. Um, next question here comes from May on the YouTube where you're coming. I'm not sure if that's her new, her real name. Uh, I think I'm the only one that uses my real name on YouTube. Um, <laughs> if I roll over my IRA into my company's 401k, then when I, re- when I reach age 72, can I avoid taking my RMD from the rollover portion? I did respond to May on this um, from the Wise Money Show and not from my own alias a.k.a. my name, Um, are you still working at age 72 for that employer? If you are, yep, that's one of the, that is one of the few ways you can delay your required minimum distribution, is if you're still working for that employer, you can delay your required minimum distribution on that 401k money. Uh, Does it allow you to delay your IRA, your, your RMD from your IRA? No, it doesn't. But if you move, if you no longer have an IRA, if your IRA is now inside of your 401k because your 401k allows for incoming rollovers, then it's avoided. A, a lot of people don't Delayed. even realize that you can do that. Mm-hmm. That money is movable between an IRA and your employer's 401k as long as it, you know it's allowed in the plan document and everything. But the IRS says this money is portable; it's it's transferable. More often, we're often uh, helping people think about getting money out of the 401k and into an IRA because you have way more investment options to choose from. But this would be an example of someone who maybe goes the opposite direction. They move money that's already out in an IRA. They've got all kinds of investment options, but the 401k gives the advantage of being able to postpone these required minimum distributions. Yep, that's right. It's good financial planning strategy in there, but you've got to be working at age 72 or beyond. So... All right, that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.